time for the Retirement Roadmap Podcast with registered financial consultant, Glenn Mosseller. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Retirement Roadmap Podcast. Walter Storholt alongside Glenn Mosseller, registered financial consultant and founder and president of Roadmap Financial Consulting in Greensboro with an office on Mears Chapel Road. Glenn, great to have you along with us once again. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Walter. Hope you are. Yeah, I'm excellent and looking forward to our conversation today. I, uh, If I just keep talking over you for uh, you know any portion of the show, Glenn, I'm not trying to be rude. It's just my hearing is slightly diminished. I was telling uh, Glenn before we hit the record button today, folks, that I had a uh, ruptured eardrum uh, recently. So kind of a a tough thing to experience as a podcast co-host, Glenn. (laughs) Yeah, Walter, I'm I'm just wanting to make sure um, we're we're A-OK here. Testing, testing. Yeah, there you go. Yes. Well, the good (laughs) news is I still have full full hearing out of the other ear. So we'll call that the good ear for now. And hopefully the other one will catch up soon. But uh, yeah, kind of an interesting experience. But all is well and and on the mend, thankfully, and uh, I think I'll be able to persevere for today's show. So we've got uh, we've got some really good questions to cover on today's program. We've given it kind of the fun umbrella or title of "I Have a Question," and we do this from time to time on the show. We talk about common financial uh, or retirement planning kinds of questions that maybe retirees or pre-retirees, or maybe you're just somebody who wants to better prepare for your financial future, and you don't necessarily fit into a particular category. Uh, those kinds of questions that people have about being better in their financial plan and in the future. And so we're going to tackle some of these common questions that we see. So I kind of play the hypothetical role of the question asker, somebody coming into Glenn's office or calling on the phone with a question, and Glenn will kind of walk us down through how those conversations unfold. So here's a first scenario for you, Glenn. I always enjoy doing these with you because we cover a lot of ground on different topics. Uh, let's say that my wife uh, and I are uh, together. We have totaled a car recently, unfortunately, just had an accident. Accident. Maybe that's why I ruptured my eardrum. See, this this plays in well. It's going to be $30,000 to get her a new one, and we only keep about $1,000 in the bank. Should we get this from an IRA where we'll have to pay taxes on it, or should we use after-tax money and pay capital gains on those dollars? Right. Well, I mean, Walter, how many times have I answered a question with, uh, with the um, words, it depends? We really right? should change the name of the show to It Depends. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, almost, that's almost right, right? So um, obviously, this one depends on a lot of different scenarios. But let's just take it a little, a little ways deeper. One of the things that we've got to think about here is, um, you know, taking money away from an account to, you know, to, to pay for a, a major capital purchase, right? Major capital purchase being, you know, something that you know is it's going to cost more than than what you could cover with just your you know your ordinary you know monthly income and obviously a car qualifies for that when we're thinking about you know paying for the car i mean the the presupposition in this whole question walter is is that you're looking to pay cash for the car right yeah exactly I, or i think we yeah take it out in one in one whack no loans or anything like that right and so you know we got to think about it so it's like well you know a lot of folks think in terms of doing that because it's like well hey i don't want to pay all that interest Right. You know, it's a double edged sword because, you know, if you take money away from an account that's earning 
and you're doing that to avoid interest, it's like, well, maybe you don't like paying interest, but what about earning interest? You know, and, and do you have the ability to earn more than maybe what you're paying? And so when we think about, you know, when, you know, what was it um, Einstein said, the eighth wonder of the world is, is compound interest, right? And over time is how compound interest works best. It's like if you interrupt that, and in other words, it's like if you have an account that's full, you drain that account out, now it stops earning and you have to start all over again, right? And so one of the things we want to think about is, is do we really want to do that, you know, particularly in a, in a, in a situation like this where, you know, there's an awful lot of deals out there, you know, and, you know, you see them every day on TV. It's like, you know, there's 0% interest or, you know, maybe, you know, 1% or something, just very, very, very de minimis amount of interest that they would be charging. Maybe not any at all, depending upon what kind of car you're buying and when, what time of the year you're buying it. So, you know, I want to be, you know, I want people to be very cautious about just, you know, just draining an account to pay for something like that because, yeah, nobody likes to pay interest, but, got to remember when you take money away, you also stop earning interest. And one of the things you have to think about is, is that that account keeps building and that, that, that interest and growth keeps compounding over time. When you have a debt that you're paying off, it keeps, it keeps, you know, getting smaller. So it's like, you know, they're moving in opposite directions. So when you take money away from something that's earning and compounding, it really kind of harms your financial future in a lot of ways. So that's something to be aware of. But let's say it's like, well, Glenn, I understand that, but I still just want to pay cash. That's just what I should do. Then you've got to be aware of it's like, well, okay, what about an IRA? Well, you got to remember an IRA, you haven't paid taxes yet. And are you 59 and a half yet? If you're not, then you may well have the taxes plus a 10% penalty. So, you know, that you got to be aware of that. And then also when you're thinking about, you know, well, what if you just look at a, you know, an after-tax account? Maybe there's some capital gains, maybe there's not. And it depends upon your situation. There might be some tax losses in there that, you know, that maybe you can be offsetting some gains. Maybe that's a possibility. But I think that it's just, you know, it's it's a deeper conversation about your particulars. But I really always want to caution people. I get that question all the time. It's like, should I buy the car with cash? Should I pay off my house? Should I do this or should I do that? And I always caution people, let's look at your whole situation as to whether or not it makes sense to take a lump sum of money and, you know, and, and pay something off immediately. Because like I say, you've stopped the ability to earn money on that, on that money. And that might not be the best move when we look at things in the big picture. Does that make sense, Walter? It does make sense, Glenn. And uh, I think that would be helpful information to anybody who is in that kind of position. It doesn't have to be a car. Maybe it's just some other large purchase. Maybe it's a roof. Maybe it's uh, you know something that suddenly kind of popped up on you. But certainly the red flag there has to be that I'm only keeping $1,000 in the bank. And that's kind of the first maybe glaring issue for somebody to think about. And is that emergency fund going to be sustainable? And there's an example of what happens to many people where immediately it becomes not sustainable as soon as you have a true issue arise. So you gave us a lot of good things to think about there, Glenn. All right, let me uh, put my shoes, uh, my, myself in somebody else's shoes here. Uh, let's say that I'm doing really well in my 401k right now, but I'm looking at my other accounts and I've got an IRA that isn't doing well. And so I come to you and I'm kind of wondering, hey, do I need to drop the advisor who manages that account and just do it myself like the 401k? Well, again, Walter, what are the um, the magic words? Uh, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. It's like, well, what are we trying to accomplish? 
right? Um, where are you in life? You know, are you in your accumulation years? Are you 30, 40, maybe early 50s? Or are you closer to retirement, right? And when you start thinking about where you are, I mean, chances are if, you're, if your 401k has been doing really well, that means it probably has a lot of exposure to things that are probably higher risk. I mean, everybody understands the idea that it's like you can go after greater returns if you're willing to take more risk. So, you know, how close are you to retirement? You know, it really depends upon the the goals that that are that are around the particular account. If you have you know an IRA and you're close to retirement and that's where your the biggest part of your nest egg is and you're looking to you know be turning that into income in the next few years, it makes sense that that probably doesn't have as much risk and therefore it wouldn't be having the same kinds of rewards of something else that might that might be in a higher risk game. And so that's one of the things that we have to think about is, is when, particularly when you're entering the retirement years or close to entering the retirement years and we're moving away from accumulation to preservation and distribution you know when when you're making those transitions you know, you've got to think in terms of what are what is your money supposed to be doing for you, and you know, is it supposed to be reliable and be there, or is it supposed to grow at, at hyperbolic you know rates? It's like that's the key question, and maybe part of your money can be at, at greater risk, but part of your money should be under control and 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 be a little bit more conservative. So I would say it really depends upon what is your objective. And, you know, are you going to have the ability to draw from, you know, that money that's in your IRA and when you're in retirement and, and if you're getting ready to retire, you don't want to have to take distributions from an account that has suffered great losses once the, you know, once a major downturn happens. And we all know that, that the economy cycles and stock market cycles. So we have to think again, what, what, are, what do I want this money to do and when do I need for it to be available? If the longer it is, the further out you know, in time that, it, that you need it to be available, well, then you can probably be a little bit more aggressive with that money. But it's like if you need it in, in the short term, you know, you want to make sure that you're able to access that money and not have to withdraw from something that's down significantly. Does that make sense? Yeah, great points, Glenn. And I think that does make sense when you're kind of evaluating the performance of those different plans or those different uh, portfolios. Um, it's important to take into those different considerations, uh, take those, all those things into account as you prepare for your uh, decision-making going forward and also evaluate the performance of those helping you with those accounts. Make sure you know the reasoning and the sense behind all those things. So that would be a good question. I know a lot of people might fall into that category and have similar questions uh, in that vein. Uh, here's another one. I'm going to get a little older here and put myself into the shoes of a 67-year-old. Uh, let's say that I've reached full retirement age for Social Security at 67, but I don't have plans to retire anytime soon. I'm ready to just keep on rolling. I'm a, I'm a young 67, Glenn. Should I go right. ahead and start my Social Security now or just wait until I'm done working? Well, Walter, I have to tell you again, it's once one, one more time, it depends. Right. And I know folks sometimes get tired of hearing that answer, but it truly does depend. I mean, there is not a, there's no such thing as a one size fits all. And that's why it really makes sense to to sit down and have a consultation and conversation with, you know, with somebody who's, you know, that's what we do. We evaluate the situation and find out where you are and what are your goals and what are your needs and, and, and how, how do we get you from point A to point B. Social Security is a, is a big piece in the puzzle for virtually everybody. And one of the things that we have to think about when we start thinking 
thinking about Social Security is, you know, when and how do we take it? Are you married? Are you single? How old is your spouse? Is there a possibility of ha- of getting some spousal benefits? Um, for some people, the answer is yes. Some people, the answer is no. Kind of depends upon when you were born because the laws changed a few years ago, but there's still some folks that are still eligible for some for a few things that they might not realize that they are. So that's something to, you know, to ask the question about. But the other thing that comes into play too, Walter, is, is that, you know, if you're not planning on retiring, then that means, you know, you're you're still collecting your your wages. And which means that, you know, you're all of that income that's coming in from, you know, from wages and salary is fully, you know, subject to taxation. So when we start looking at Social Security, we have to realize that Social Security is not taxable until and unless we have enough other income that causes our Social Security to have to be taxed. In other words, it's kind of one of those things in the in the tax code that Social Security is a little bit means tested in that they look at the situation as is the more income you have, the less income from Social Security you need to keep, or at least that's kind of the, the, the way it turns out because the more income you have from other sources, it can cause your Social Security to get you know be subject to taxation. If you're in your peak earning years and you start taking that Social Security, that means a couple of things. Number one, you're taking it and it's not you know you're you're turning it on at a at a place that it could be higher if you were to wait. And so if you're turning it on at a lower at a lower rate per month than you could get in the future, and you're also going to get taxed on it significantly, you have to evaluate: is that really the right thing that you know for you to do? You know, in, in terms of what, you know, when are you really going to pull the trigger and retire? You know, are you going to want more money in the future when you don't have your wages to rely on? Most people, the answer to that question is yes. And so if the answer to that question is yes, if you if you were able to, you know, to delay your Social Security for another few years, well, I mean, that can be significant. You know, if you're 67 years old and you delay all the way to age 70, you get an 8% increase every single year on what your monthly benefit would be. So in other words, that's it's it's about 24% higher you know monthly benefit if you were to delay not to mention the fact that you know if there's cost of living increases that happen during those three years you'll also get those so you know your your monthly benefit could be significantly higher um, you know by waiting and if you're married then it can also be a scenario where you know if you wait like that and you know, almost always you have one spouse that's going to pass before the other spouse their surviving spouse would then be in a situation where they would have a higher um, survivor benefit too. So there's a lot of pieces of this puzzle to think about, but I always suggest to folks, if we're going to think about when and how to take social security, let's do a full blown analysis on that in terms of your, your outright benefits in terms of how much cash flow can you generate and when, and also what are the tax implications of taking it now versus later. Important considerations all the way around there, Glenn. And I know that that one has a lot of layers to it. Whenever somebody's wondering when's the right time to take social security, there's sometimes not one right answer. It depends on what you want to do with all of those other accounts and kind of all these other factors that are in play. That one truly does depend, not just from person to person, but even within one person, it depends on, you know, your answers to several different questions as well. So that is a really important one to see all those different angles. And it's not just as simple as saying, hey, it looks like it's time for me to take it. So should I, you know, there, there's more into it than that. Uh, let's oh, play absolutely. one more hypothetical absolutely. here, absolutely. Glenn. Yeah. Uh, let's say, uh, let's say my dad's in his nineties and uh, unfortunately his health is starting to decline. And and, uh, you know, my, my siblings and I were, were curious, would it be wise for him to start gifting money to me and my sister while he's still alive so that we don't have to deal with so much estate tax when he passes? Uh, we've also talked to him about signing over his house to us as well. 
Right. So, well, a couple of things to think about, Walter, is is that um, you know the estate tax doesn't really apply to too many people anymore because you know over the over the last you know number of uh, administrations, you know the uh, that exemption has gone significantly higher. I mean, it, if you're looking at um, if dad was married, you know, and mom passed away, then you know you have you have the exemption of a you know a full married couple, and you know you're you're north of ten million dollars that would be exempt from estate tax. Now that doesn't mean it's exempt from any and all tax, but a state tax is one particular tax. Income tax is another type of tax. Kind of depends upon where dad's money is. Is dad's money in an IRA? Is dad's money in, you know, in a bank account? Is dad's money in a brokerage account? You know, where does he have that? Is it insurance products? There could be any number of places where his money is and what's going to make the most sense. Of course, you know, whether or not he's going to need money for, you know, for any long-term care and, and what are the plans for that? Um, so again, it kind of depends. We need to do some analysis on that particular situation. Um, and then in regards to the house, I mean, that's that's something you got to be very, very, very careful about. Uh, we've seen this situation happen a number of times. Folks, you know, they um, they come into the office and then they become tax clients. And, you know, they sit down and they say, oh, oh by the way, my mom or my dad, you know, they, you know, they dated the house to me or, you know, to me and my, you know, me, my sibling. You know, now they just passed. And so we were wanting to try to figure out, you know, what is going to be the tax implications? And they say, you know, oh, gosh, they deeded it to you or, you know, and they say, yeah, they actually deeded the property to us. And so if that would have been something that we would have wanted to been able to have that conversation before the the, you know, the transfer of that deed happened. Reason being is, is that, Walter, this is kind of a little known thing for a lot of folks. And that is, is that if somebody gives you a capital asset while they're still alive, then they're also giving you what's called their tax basis. In other words, let's hypothetically say that this house is, you know, that was bought back in the 50s or something like that. And let's say that mom and dad maybe paid $20,000, $25,000 for this house, which sounds ridiculous, but in back in the 50s, that's certainly possible. And now that house is worth several hundred thousand dollars, right? So if mom and dad had left that house in their will and they passed away, then the, then the children would receive that house as an inheritance and they would get what's called a stepped up basis, meaning that they would inherit it at the value that it is today. And there would be no capital gains tax that be, you know, to be applied to that inheritance. However, if mom and dad gave that house away to you while they were still alive and their basis in that house was 25000 and it's worth several hundred thousand, guess what? If they gifted it to you while they're still alive, now they've gifted you their basis and now you own it at $25,000. And if it's worth several hundred thousand dollars, then you have all that gain in between that's going to be taxable to you after they pass and when you go to sell that property. So you got to be really careful about what you're doing and why you're doing it. I mean, I know a lot of times folks will, will, will deed houses for different reasons, but the tax implications of that can be you know pretty big. So one of the things we need to really have that conversation about is, is that there's two things. There's taxes and then there's also possibly some elder law um, planning. And so whenever whenever you're doing you know that kind of planning or mom and dad or might be doing that kind of planning, it's very wise to look at what are the tax implications going to be and what are the uh, long-term care 
um, planning, you know, potential for that and what, you know, what's going to be the best way to do it. Just saying, okay, well, I think what we should do is deed the house to the kids that may or may not end up being the right, you know, the right thing. Maybe there's a way of, of, of doing that um, in a different way that, that protects the, the tax implications. And there's some other elements there that aren't being addressed if you just simply deed it. Whereas if you do some, you know, advanced legal planning and or some tax planning, you might be able to, you know, put that in a better, in a better light and not end up you know, giving so much money away to the government in the end. Lots of ground that we covered on today's show. Certainly lots of different topics and conversations to dive into. And hopefully one of these struck a chord with you. If it's a similar question to one that you've had in the past or one that you might be currently thinking about, uh, don't hesitate to reach out and give Glenn a call or get in touch via the website. GreensboroRetirement.com is the address. If you've got more questions that you want answers to and want to have your particular situation looked at and analyzed, I call it the three C's a lot of the time where you customize review, you want one that's comprehensive, and you should get a free consultation out of it as well, the three C's. If you want to get in touch with Glenn, you can give him a call at 336-291-3535. That's 336-291-3535. Or give a, you know, check out online at greensbororetirement.com, the place to go there. That's greensbororetirement.com. If you look at the bottom of the page, you'll see where uh, you can click to schedule a free consultation with Glenn Mosseller there. Glenn, thanks for the time on today's podcast. Really appreciate you uh, kind of guiding us through all these different scenarios and questions. And we'll have another good show on tap next week. Absolutely, Walter. I look forward to it. All right. We'll look forward to that as well. Thanks so much for taking the time to be with us on today's show. For Glenn, I'm Walter. We'll talk to you next time right here on the Retirement Roadmap. <laughs> 